You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Monday, October the 25th, and it's just going to be a one-man show again today. I found myself with a few extra minutes here before work, so I'm going to spend the next 20 to 30 minutes having a look at Ohio State's 54-7 to demolition of Indiana this past Saturday night. And maybe I'll spend a little time giving you my thoughts on some of last Saturday's other results, namely Penn State laying an egg at home and losing to Illinois after nine frames of overtime. My goodness, PU James Franklin. And that result really spoils what we all thought was going to be a top 10 matchup between Penn State and Ohio State under the lights in the shoe this coming Saturday. But first, let's have a look back at what happened in Bloomington. Now, if you only had the final score to go on, you'd never believe that it was a 7-7 to game with less than three minutes to play in the first quarter. And the Buckeyes put together a 12-play, 75-yard drive on the opening possession to take a 7-0 lead on an 11-yard touchdown run by Mayan Williams. The Hoosiers countered with a 15-play, 75-yard scoring drive of their own. Indiana converted four times on third and long during that drive. Quarterback Jack Tuttle, who... As expected, started in place of the injured Michael Penix Jr., hit tight, tight end Peyton Hendershot for a touchdown on third and goal from the Ohio State 7. Now, Tuttle paid for it. He took a huge hit from Antoine Jackson and Haskell Garrett and was injured on the play. Tuttle attempted to return briefly, but had to leave the game again and was and ended up being replaced by freshman Donovan McCulley and fourth string walk-on Grant Gremmel. McCulley and Gremmel were a combined 4 of 10 for 39 yards, passing really had no shot to do much of anything against an Ohio State front seven, which was finally healthy for the first time all season and just could not be kept out of the Indiana backfield. When I looked at the box card, I was surprised it was only five sacks because to me, it seemed like they had a lot more than that. And had they played all four quarters, I think they would have doubled that sack total at least. Now, after IU's 75-yard first quarter touchdown drive. The Hoosiers were held to 53 total yards of offense. They finished with 128 total yards on the game, 80 through the air, 48 on the ground. It was a really, really long night for the IU offense, as I expected and had predicted. They really couldn't do much of anything. The Buckeyes scored 30 unanswered in the second quarter to take a 44-7 lead into the locker room at halftime. Now, in only three quarters of play, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud was magnificent once again, finishing finishing 21 of 28 for 266 yards and four touchdown passes with no interceptions. Jackson, Smith, and Jigba led Ohio State with 99 yards receiving. Tight end Jeremy Ruckert caught two touchdown passes from Stroud. And freshman sensation Travion Henderson led the Buckeyes on the ground once again with 81 yards rushing on only nine carries and two rushing touchdowns. Henderson also caught 14, a 14-yard touchdown pass from Stroud. And Ohio State scored touchdowns on all six of its first half possessions. They also tacked on a safety on a muffed snap by Indiana's punter. So really, the Buckeyes did whatever it wanted offensively against, yeah, let's face it, a pretty respectable Indiana defense that had played very well against one of the nation's toughest schedules coming into the game. I thought our friend Bill Landis at The Athletic wrote something yesterday that really put the greatness of the Ohio State offense into perspective. 
In the Buckeyes' last 156 offensive plays, Bill Landis wrote yesterday, with C.J. Stroud at quarterback, the Buckeyes have scored 150 points. Let me say that again. In Ohio State's last 156 offensive plays with Stroud at quarterback, the Buckeyes have scored 150 points. That's nearly one point per play. Now, Landis also wrote that when Ohio State punted late in the third quarter against Indiana on Saturday night, it was the first time the first-team offense had been held to a punt since the second quarter of the Akron game on September 25th. Now, I didn't think as as solid as they've been throughout most of the season, I did not think Indiana's defense had an ice cube's chance in hell of slowing down the Ohio State offense. So I wasn't at all surprised by the outcome. As you may remember, if you've listened to the the prediction pod on Thursday, I think I had the final score 51-14 Ohio State, so pretty close to the actual final score. And, And really, I don't know how many more platitudes you can give the Ohio State offense at this point. It's exactly what we expected it to be going back to the preseason. I mean, even if you look at it, even in their worst game of the season, that was against Oregon, the offense still put up 612 yards. So the big question for me has always been whether the Ohio State defense could find its way back to respectability or perhaps even more than that. Now, that to me was the key to Ohio State getting back to the playoff. I thought the defense really had to put it together and and become at least a respectable unit. But you know, I really thought that, you know, and I said this to our, our text thread a few weeks back, I thought it was totally on the table that Ohio State could actually be more than just respectable. I thought they could actually become a good defensive team by season's end. And if you've been paying attention to the numbers, that's really what the defense is starting to look like. As we sit here today, after seven games, the Ohio State defense is now 18th nationally in scoring defense, giving up just over 18 points per game. 21st nationally in defensive yards per play, giving up just under five yards per play. It's about 4.87. Well, exactly, 4.87 yards per play. They're 12th nationally in sacks now, averaging just about three and a half per game. Now, if you remember, through the first three games of this season, we were all wondering, where in the hell is the pressure? Why is this defensive line not able to get to the quarterback? All that five-star talent. You have the coaching genius of Larry Johnson on in that unit. Why was Ohio State unable to get to the quarterback? Well, now they're doing that. And they're doing it just about as well as anybody nationally, 12th nationally in sacks. This defense is also 14th nationally in interceptions. So we're looking at a defense now that's getting after the quarterback, that's forcing turnovers, and oh, by the way, actually scoring. Ohio State is tied for first nationally in defensive touchdowns with five. So this is a, a defense that's, it's, that's, that's starting to become disruptive, starting to generate those explosive plays that we would expect out of a, a quality Ohio State off, uh, Ohio State defense. The, the defense is also 29th nationally against the run. That is way, way better than where it was after the first three weeks of the season. I think we were down in the hundreds uh, against the run defensively. Now 29th nationally against the run. I think those numbers, that particular statistics is only going to get better as the season goes along, even as the competition stiffens. And finally, pro football focus as of right now has Ohio State 25th nationally in team defense. So, you know, we've always said on this podcast that with the way Ohio State has played offense under Ryan Day with the the absurd level of talent and skill that Ohio State possesses on the offensive side, you just need to be somewhere in the top 25 in most of the key defensive metrics. And that's exactly what Ohio State is. And in some cases, much better than 
top 25. And I think this defense is only going to get better. They've got the right man, it appears, calling the defense in Matt Barnes. So moving Kerry Combs up to the booth, relieving him of his defensive play calling responsibilities appears to be paying big time dividends for this defense. The hockey line substitutions that we saw through the first three weeks with a lot of young players seeing meaningful snaps that really had that really weren't ready for them, those have gone away and Ohio State now has identified its best players and really leaning on them. That's paying big dividends. And I think it's no coincidence that you're seeing those in this, you're seeing better statistics defensively. So for me, the big takeaway, not only out of this Indiana game, but of the last three Big Ten games, if you go back to Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana, or and, and I understand, look, I mean, we're not talking about murderer's row here, but these are Big Ten opponents. And these are opponents that actually can do certain things pretty well. Ohio State has dominated those teams. The, the, the games are over by the second quarter. So the, the takeaway for me over these last three games is we're starting to see actually a good defense emerge from the ashes of the first three weeks of the season. And then, of course, a, a now healthy quarterback in C.J. Stroud is improving every single week. He looks to be in total command of the offense, making all the throws. Right now, nobody in the country, nobody is playing better football than this Ohio State team, not even Georgia. I thought it was very interesting. I was looking at uh, Joel Klatt's top five that he put out uh, just on Sunday. He has Ohio State number two right behind Georgia. Ditto for Kirk Herbstreet. Same deal. Kirk Herbstreet now has elevated Ohio State to number two in his top five. Douglas Maurice of uh, our good buddy Douglas Maurice of Buckeye Talk yesterday said on their postgame podcast, he really firmly believes that if Ohio State continues to play this well and they they handle Penn State, that he believes Ohio State is going to be number two in the initial playoff rankings, which come out next Tuesday. So. High State really starting to turn heads and and really starting to make believers out of a lot of the guys whose opinions I really, really respect. So I think that says something. I want to spend just a few minutes looking at some of Saturday's other results. And let's have a look. Let's start with the total stink bomb that Penn State, that Penn State laid uh, in Happy Valley on its home field against what is now a three and five, but going into the game, a two and five Illinois fighting a line I team. This is Brett Bielema's team. Penn state goes down 20 to 18 after nine frames of overtime. Penn state could not get anything going all day long. Offensively, they were absolutely dreadful. And there were a couple things there that I thought just really, really bad signs for Penn state moving forward. First of all, only 227 yards of total offense. And, uh, you know, Sean Clifford clearly not, uh, still not healthy. He was injured in the Iowa game, as we all remembered. He played, he started, he played the entire game, 19 to 34 for 165 yards passing. That's 4.9 yards per attempt. He did throw a touchdown, no interceptions, but Clifford clearly not himself. I, I don't, I, I've never viewed him as a quarterback with a ton of arm talent to begin with, a very limited quarterback from my point of view. So I always had big questions about whether Clifford would ever be able to do anything against Ohio State or other quality competition. So a pedestrian effort out of Clifford, it, you got to give him a little bit of a break there because he's injured. Uh, Penn State not able to do well under 300 yards of total offense in that game. That is a bad sign for them. And then if you look at what they did defensively, really getting beat up in the trenches by the Illinois offensive line to the tune of 357 yards rushing. 
Chase Brown, it, Illinois says starting tailback, 33 carries, 223 yards. Joshua McCrary, another tailback for Illinois, 24 yard, 24 carries, pardon me, 142 yards rushing. So Illinois really being able to do whatever they wanted on the ground. And they ended up uh, holding on for the win after nine frames of overtime. If you've not seen the new version of college football overtime, it was on full display in this game. The the usual uh, frames of overtime that that we've known uh, over the years, which is that each team gets a possession from the 25-yard line, uh, that that occurs through the first two frames. And if after the first two frames, the score is still, still tied, then each team is forced to attempt a two-point conversion. And uh, the team that's able to convert on, on their two-point conversion and hold the opponent uh, out of the end zone wins the game. That's exactly what Illinois did in the ninth frame. And boy, what a disappointing performance from Penn State. And it really kind of ruins what should have been a top 10 matchup this coming Saturday in the shoe under the lights with Ohio State. Penn State drops down to number 20 in the AP poll. And they come into Saturday night, I believe at the moment, a 17 and a half point underdog to Ohio State. Now I said, after Iowa lost at home to Purdue two Saturdays ago, I it really forced me to reevaluate who Penn State was. Because I thought Penn State, now looking back at the loss that they had against Iowa, even after losing Sean Clifford really thought kind of if Penn State was truly a top 10 team, they probably should have beaten Iowa anyway. Iowa turns around the following week, gets their butts handed to them by Purdue. It was at that point I really started to reevaluate who Penn State is and how good they actually were. And then they, you know, they uh, they confirmed my doubt in them by by losing this game at home to Illinois. Just a real disappointing performance out of Penn State. And this starts to really kind of clear the path, I think. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but now we start to kind of look at what what appears to be a potential winner-takes-all matchup with Michigan in Ann Arbor. Michigan uh, looking pretty impressive against Northwestern, although it took them pretty, pretty much all four quarters to do it. Uh, Michigan handles Northwestern 33-7 to in Ann Arbor. That game was... Uh, you know, that was a 10-7 game at the half. Michigan had a three-point lead. They go, they score 17 unanswered in the third quarter to pull away. But, uh, you know, again, the, the big the big question around Michigan is, can they throw the football? Now, they ran all over Northwestern, really kind of ground Northwestern down. It, it wasn't really a, an overwhelming performance running the football for Michigan. They finished with 294 yards rushing on 54 carries, so only about five and a half yards per attempt for Michigan. They really just kind of, as I say, ground down Northwestern and, and wore them down as the game went along. But for me, that didn't really show me anything new about Michigan. We knew that they were solid running the football. We knew they were going to play good, solid defense. But for me is, can they throw the ball? And if you look at what Kate McNamara did in that game, 20 of 27, 129 yards passing. J.J. McCarthy saw a little bit of time. He was 3 of 5 for 34 yards passing. Only 5.1 yards per attempt from the Michigan quarterbacks in that game. And look, this formula, we've seen the best of this formula from Michigan. The solid running game, good defense, 
and serviceable in the passing game, right? A, a kind of a game match manager, a quarterback, a player that doesn't make a ton of mistakes. We've seen this movie before, and we've seen the best of this from of this formula from Jim Harbaugh previously. We saw it in 2016. It wasn't enough. We saw it in 2018. It wasn't enough. This formula will get will get Michigan nine to ten wins against the rest of its schedule. But but we've seen it, we've seen in recent history, we've seen over the years that it's just not going to be enough to beat Ohio State. And and I think Michigan's going to have to find another level in Ann Arbor if they expect to beat Ohio State. They're going to have to find a way to push the ball downfield, uh, you know, m- make plays down the field in the passing game. So I I think Michigan, while they do look improved, I give them credit credit for that. I like them to beat Michigan State. Uh, this coming Saturday in East Lansing, and I like them to win out uh, until they face Ohio State in Ann Arbor in the season finale. But they're going to have to show me something different in the past game to to make me think that they're going to pose any real threat to Ohio State in that game. Wanted to have a look at two other games, and then I'll let you go. Oklahoma goes to Kansas on Saturday. Now they escape with a thirty-five to twenty-three win in that game. They had to convert. A fourth down play late in the fourth quarter, clinging to a 28-23 lead. Kennedy Brooks, Oklahoma's tailback, was stuffed on fourth and one. Looked like he was going to lose two or three yards. Quarterback Caleb Caleb Williams pulls the ball out of Kennedy Brooks' hands as he's going down and gets the ball across the first down marker to keep the drive alive. Oklahoma would go on to score and win the game 35-23. But Oklahoma got all it could handle from the Jayhawks in that game. And really, a a head-scratching performance from the Sooners. I I mean, the the minute I I show any faith in Oklahoma, I I had them listed as number three in my playoff rankings in last week's pod. I thought Caleb Williams was showing us a dimension in the passing game uh, that, that made Oklahoma very dangerous, you know, very much alive for one of those four playoff spots. And then they turn right around and and lay an egg against a terrible Kansas Jayhawk team, which is now one in six. Caleb Williams finishes 15 to 20 for 178 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. He was curiously, uh, you know, not himself against a, a Kansas defense where one would think, you know, Oklahoma would be able to do whatever they wanted. Kennedy Brooks. He's held to 79 yards on uh, 24 carries. Oklahoma on the game finished with 220 total yards. They got 70 out of Caleb Williams on eight attempts, but only six and a half per carry. I guess that's a pretty decent rushing average. But, you know, against Kansas, you would you would expect Oklahoma to do whatever it wanted throw, uh, running the ball. So very curious performance from Oklahoma. They continue to really uh, to, to really win by the skin of their teeth. And you have to wonder, with opponents like Iowa State and Oklahoma State still looming on their schedule, are, are they going to be able to make it through the Big 12 unscathed? I don't know. I'm probably going to keep them in my playoff rankings for now, my, my playoff field for now. But I was really surprised by that result. And uh, I was also really surprised to see the Oklahoma defense for much of the game not really able to contain Kansas running the football. They gave up 166 yards on the ground. Jason Bean, Kansas's quarterback, also looked, uh, you know, like a world beater on Saturday. 17 to 23 for 246 yards. Oklahoma's going to have to be much better than that on defense. And you know that the defensive questions continue to dog 
Oklahoma. On the game, Kansas actually outgains Oklahoma 412 to 398. Weird, weird game. I did not see that one coming, but Oklahoma manages to escape and they remain undefeated. They did drop in the AP poll, I noticed. Uh, they dropped down to number four, if I'm not mistaken, and they were jumped by Alabama, who themselves uh, was in a game unexpectedly with Tennessee. Uh, that was another game, a uh, close game going into the fourth quarter. Uh, Alabama pulls away. They outscored Tennessee 28-7 in the fourth quarter. This one was in Tuscaloosa, but it was not easy. And it was a game that I think we were all surprised to see uh, Alabama really kind of up against it. 24-17 Alabama going into the fourth quarter. Uh, Bama scored uh, on a six-yard touchdown run from Bryce Young uh, to open the fourth quarter. But then Tennessee counters with a 70-yard touchdown pass uh, from Hendon Hooker to Cedric Tillman to make it 31-24. Uh, and then uh, 21 unanswered from the Crimson Tide to to put this game away. But, you know, questions kind of remain. I said last week in our in the preview pod that I thought this was the most vulnerable Alabama team that Nick Saban has had over the last five or six years. And uh, and and I still I still believe that. I think this this Bama team can be had. I'm not sure, you know, who left on their schedule, their regular season schedule could really give uh, you know, could really worry Alabama. They got LSU on November 6th. It looks like New Mexico State on the 13th. That's a gimme. They play Arkansas at home on the 20th. And then the rivalry game uh, at Auburn. That's a game maybe they were where they might where they might run into trouble. Uh, and then in the SEC title game, as things look right now, I don't see this Alabama team getting past Georgia. So I'm starting to wonder whether Alabama can actually, uh, you know, can actually make the field. I had them in my field, my top four last week. Uh, I'm starting to have doubts about that now. But look, why don't we turn to that gun to my head playoff predictions? I got Georgia, who has looked very balanced, and I don't want to say unbeatable, but probably like the most complete team for most of the season. Right on their heels, though, I've got Ohio State at number two, and the pro football focus grades continue to have Ohio State number two right behind Georgia. And, and I, as I said earlier in the pod, I really think Ohio State is playing as well as anybody. I think they're playing even better than Georgia right now. If you look at what Ohio State's doing on both sides of the ball, especially offensively, and it feels like we, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it feels like we are headed to a Georgia-Ohio State national championship game. I know I'm getting way ahead of myself, but who doesn't want to see that Georgia defense against Ohio State's offense? At number four, three, I'm going to I'm gonna elevate Alabama to number three over Oklahoma. Now, I don't do it with a ton of conviction. They had all kinds of trouble, as I've just mentioned, with Tennessee at home. That's not a very good Tennessee team. Alabama still has a couple, has at least one test left in the regular season. That's a, a, a road game at Auburn. And, you know, you can kind of throw out the records in that game. I'm not sure I see Alabama having enough to upset Georgia in the SEC title game, but for now, I'm going to keep them at number three. Uh, Finally, I'm going to move Oklahoma down to number four. Again, this is another pick that I don't have a ton of conviction. I don't have a ton of belief and Oklahoma needs to, to show me a lot more defensively. And Caleb Williams, I think is going to have to get back to that, that uh, superstar talent that he looked like in his first two starts 
uh, or the the two games previous to the uh, to the clunker against Kansas. Cincinnati is another team a lot of folks are talking about. I still can't get out of my head that forty two to nothing loss two years ago in the shoe to Ohio State. I know that was two years ago. I know those are different players, different times, a different year. But that was a good Cincinnati team that won 11 games that season. And to me, they did not belong on the same field as Ohio State. And they had trouble with Navy, a pretty lousy Navy team on Saturday. They ended up hanging on to win that game, but had to recover an onside kick to to close that one out. Uh, actually, I stand corrected. They they Navy recovered an onside kick, only down seven. Cincinnati hung on, uh, stopped Navy on that last possession to win by a touchdown. So not a big believer in Cincinnati. I know some people have them in the top five. I know that they're, I believe, number three or number two in the AP poll. I'm not buying Cincinnati. I'm I'm selling Cincinnati stock. And uh, we'll see what happens this coming Saturday in the shoe against uh, Penn State. I'm still very much looking forward to that game. I still think it's going to be a great test for Ohio State. That's a good Penn State defense. I'm going to try and uh, wrangle both Paige and Chad for a preview pod Uh, for that game sometime later this week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, thanks very much for listening and have a great day. You've been listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.